0: Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I just pray and ask that you be with us, that you would encourage us in truth. God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, that your word would reach down deep into our hearts. God, that you would give us not only ears to hear, but just the desire to also understand. God, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word. God, help us to not hear Uh, teaching from Your Word today and then walk out of here never applying it to our lives, but instead help us to live in light of what we are seeing in Your Word each day. God, I pray and ask that You would be with the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world today as well. God, I pray that they would worship You in spirit and in truth. And God, I just pray and ask that You would be glorified God, that you would be magnified. God, that your gospel would be made known, that it would be made real in our hearts, and that we would be encouraged by it, that we may serve you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, I finished off two weeks ago, or left off two weeks ago, preaching through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and then last week Daniel was gracious enough to come and, and fill the pulpit while uh, my family and I were away on vacation. It was a great time of refreshment, thank you for that, it was a good opportunity to just spend time together, and, and uh, really we had no plans, we didn't do anything in particular other than eat at Chick-fil-A like 27 times. Um, it wasn't wasn't 27, it was three times in three days, but nonetheless we... It was just a good time to get away and do uh, little or nothing, really. Um, But we've been working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. And I've said many times, 2 Corinthians is a a difficult book. And as I embarked on this book, I preached through 1 Corinthians. And then I said, where should I go next? And I looked to Mark, I looked to Bill, and they said, 1 Corinthians, duh, 2 Corinthians. And I thought, well, that seems to make sense. And then as I started studying the text, I realized there's not a lot of Sermons on 2 Corinthians. There's that a lot of a lot of churches and pastors seem to avoid 2 Corinthians. And the deeper I get into it, the more I realize why. So today I feel somewhat unprepared. I was telling Daniel that I think this is probably the most unprepared I've ever felt for a sermon. But praise God that um, we don't come to serve him by we don't we don't serve him and in such by serving him repay the grace that He's shown us. It's not like He's given me grace and now I repay His grace by serving Him, by preaching this message. Instead, I stand up here week after week and I need His grace in order to proclaim His word. So every week I'm actually further indebted to His grace. As, and that's what happens as we serve Him. We're further and further and further indebted to His grace. So I'm just praying for God's gracious work as we look at this text and seek to apply it to our lives. As I mentioned, I preached through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We spoke on giving. I thought it was appropriate to talk about giving in the local church and then leave for a week, let you kind of recover. Um, Hopefully there was no coup that was planned while I was gone. And then Daniel talked about really largely evangelism and reaching the lost and what it means to reach the lost here in New England and in Maine in particular. And these two ideas really go hand in hand and they fit together with today's message. You think, what does giving have to do with evangelism? Well, giving is really all about our heart and the way we give ourselves to the Lord. And giving of of our money, of our material possessions for the Lord's service is no different in some sense than giving of our time to share the gospel so that others may be saved. It's doing all things for the glory of God. And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians 10 as Paul addresses this issue of individuals within the church in Corinth attacking him and his ministry. And he, he points to the fact that he has tried to be a faithful servant of Christ, both in Corinth and around the world. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1-18. through 18. Paul writes, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we." For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present." For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ." Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading the hearing and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So I've mentioned many times that this letter of 2 Corinthians is intensely personal. It's a personal letter written by Paul. If you remember, Paul planted the church in Corinth. He went to Corinth. He preached the Gospel there. People became uh, believers, they got saved, they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They followed the Lord Jesus and followed Paul and his ministry. And Paul stayed a year and a half in the church in Corinth. And he stayed there, he ministered to the saints, and when he left, he, he found that there were some things that they still needed to grow and learn. Like every church, like every believer, there were still things that they needed to work through. But the church in Corinth was unique in that they were given so many great opportunities but they continued to struggle. They were given so many blessings. They had many, many spiritual gifts, but they struggled in many other ways. They struggled in their maturity. So Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. He writes to them. He addresses some issues. And then we have this other letter that he refers to in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, this harsh letter where he corrects them. There's some false teaching going on. And he corrects them. And then we have this letter of 2 Corinthians. And in each of these, I've said before, It's like a phone conversation where we hear what Paul is saying. We see what Paul writes, but we don't know the responses, clearly anyway, from the church in Corinth. But we can deduce, we can understand some of those responses just based on what Paul has said. Like if you listen to somebody talking on the phone, you can kind of say, you can kind of figure out who they're talking to and what they're talking about. Oftentimes my wife will be on the phone and I'll say, so how is Sue? Or you know, whatever the, whoever she's speaking to. Because you can understand from half the conversation what's kind of what's going on. And that's what we have here in this letter to 2 Corinthians. And this letter, as I mentioned, is intensely personal because Paul loves the people in Corinth. He spent time with them. He's their spiritual father. He mentored them. He discipled them. He pastored them, shepherded them. And as we read a couple of weeks ago, we read in 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul experienced a lot of difficulty in his ministry. Look there just real quick. 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, Paul says he experienced labors, imprisonments, and he goes on to say, he says, I have been beaten many times without number, often in danger of death. Five times, this is verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep, I've been on frequent journeys, and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." This is the life of ministry. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what he lived day by day. Difficult ministry. So as I think of Jeff and Carlin, we we encourage them to go, go to China, share the gospel, be used of God mightily. I think, and be prepared. Be prepared for what? If the Apostle Paul, who is as faithful as a, of a servant as we can imagine, this is what he faced. If the Lord Jesus, who faced difficulty in His ministry, why would we expect anything different? But then Paul says this in 11.28, after saying all those things that he faced, he says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. He says, I faced all of this, and apart from that, even beyond that, I had concern for the churches." You see, what motivated Paul to to undergo and to persevere in the midst of these trials was his love for the saints. He loved the saints. All of the churches, he says. How much more did he love the church in Corinth whom he knew personally? Paul loved the saints. Why? He loved the saints because God's people naturally have a love for for each other. That if you love God, there's a, the natural result is loving each other. We talked about love in Sunday school and how it motivates us toward evangelism. And why love is important with regard to evangelism. And it's important because if you don't love others, then you don't love God. That's what Scripture says. That one naturally follows the other. That's why in Matthew 22, following His answer to what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, The greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That's a summary of the Old Testament Scriptures, he said. You want to summarize the Scriptures? Love God, love other people. And when you say you love God and you don't love other people, you clearly have a misunderstanding. You don't love God if you don't love others. That's why John, in John 13.35, Jesus said, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you go to China. How? If you preach a sermon. How? If you teach a Sunday school class or teach in a seminary. No! He said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in 1 John 4.20, We read, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. See, what naturally follows our love for God is love for the church, love for his saints. And Paul lived this out. Paul didn't sign up to be a Christian missionary. Paul didn't. He didn't say, you know. Here's what I think. I think this is a good career choice. I know some friends of mine who recently went to a local career day at a school, and I applaud them for this and set up their ministry booth because they saw it as an opportunity to present and to share the truth of the gospel. And they went to this career day to talk about what it means to serve as in ministry as a career. Praise God for them doing this. And as I was talking to them, they said, "And you know what?" Nobody came to our booth and said, you know, we're really interested in Christian, in Christian missionary work. We're not really interested in ministry. But they had a lot of people who came and said, you know, I'm an atheist. You know, I don't believe in God. Why are you doing this? And it was an opportunity to present the gospel. But there aren't many people who sign up for this work. Even in, uh, during the Sunday school, the break between Sunday school and church, we were talking about being a pastor's wife. I was with somebody, not me being a pastor's wife, It is the 21st century. Uh, Not me being a pastor's wife, but what it it means for Kim to be a pastor's wife. And I said, I remember going home one day after an early morning Bible study and saying, honey, I think I'm called to ministry. And you know what her response was? I did not sign up for this. That's what she said. (laughs) Because we don't sign up for these things. Instead, God compels us. He says, he calls us But in some sense, every one of us is called to be a servant. Not just those who go on the mission field. Not just those who preach on Sunday morning or teach at Sunday school. We're all called to be servants. And we're all called to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. So Paul, he does this because he loves God and in turn loves the saints. He loves the saints in Corinth. But in spite of his love for the saints, he faced a great deal of opposition there. And this letter makes it clear that Paul was personally attacked. And his response really gives us a glimpse of his heart. We get to see his love for the saints in his response to these attacks. His genuine concern for God's people. You know, it's easy to think of Paul as this tough of nails, hard, tough as nails, hard-hitting, no-nonsense kind of guy. However, 2 Corinthians really gives us a glimpse of a man who had no desire to come with a rod of discipline. Paul wasn't the guy who said, oh, let me, Adam, let me tell you what. Instead, he had no desire, but he was willing to do whatever God called him to do to ensure that God's people were growing in Christ. And that's the mark of a good shepherd, the mark of a good faithful servant. No desire to beat people up, but a desire to see them grow in the Lord. And I think as we read through 2 Corinthians, we need to rethink our view of Paul. Paul is a loving shepherd. He's a pastor. He's he's an apostle who cares for the saints. Yes, he's concerned with truth. But he's not concerned with truth at the expense of others. He, He wants others to see the truth and grow in the truth because he loves them. It's not just a pure and good doctrinal statement. It's a doctrinal statement that people understand and live and know because it helps them know who God is and grow in their relationship with God. So Paul, as he's attacked throughout this letter, he's not really concerned with merely defending himself, but instead with defending his ministry and the position of leadership that God has placed him in because he wants to uphold the truth of the gospel. You know, opposition to leadership, by the way, is quite common. If you don't believe that, then you're probably not a parent, right? If you've parented, then you know that opposition to leadership is quite common. Uh, Son, I need you to do this. Daughter, I need you to do this. And that opposition raises its ugly head. Why? Because we don't want to submit to anyone or anything. As I've said so many times, we have this saying at our house. It goes like this. I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. And I'm willing to sin if I don't get it. And that's the root of our problems. I want what I want. And when leadership opposes what we want, we rebel. And in the church, God's given us leaders for our good. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should blindly follow all of our leaders. Uh, I'm I'm just saying that Scripture speaks more to following and submitting than it does to leading a rebellion. Because we're naturally inclined toward a rebellion. We read in Ephesians, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ. And He gives us warning. To those who are in authority though, and he says, I exhort the elders among you in First Peter. He says, As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So he warns leaders, but then he warns those who are called to in a position of following as well. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You see, Paul understood as he wrote this letter that he would give an account to those about those with regard to those in Corinth. And I'll tell you, there's not much that keeps me up at night. But if there's anything that does, it's this, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do you mean I'm going to have to account for you That when I get to heaven, God's going to say, what about Mark? What about Dale? What about Daniel? What about Richard? And I say, I need to be faithful. I need to be faithful in being a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on in Hebrews and warns them and says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For it would be unprofitable for you. you. If you cause them to lead with grief and not with joy, it's unprofitable for you. You know, it's been said, was I was studying this week, I came across a funny quote, and I've heard it before, but it's been said, the church is the only hospital that poisons its doctors, and it's the only army that shoots its own generals. And while we might not be the only hospital that poisons its doctors, and the only army that shoots its generals, the church is certainly guilty of these things. I'll say I've been on both the giving and the receiving end. We've gone home for lunch, and we've had roasted pastor for lunch, or roasted preacher for lunch. We've sat down for lunch and said, can you believe what that wingnut said today? And there's a point where we need to hold them accountable. Yes, we need to hold Christian leaders accountable. But also, we need to be careful in the way we do so. So I've been on the giving end, but I've also been on the receiving end. I've experienced criticism that simply wasn't fair. And oftentimes in ministry, the criticism that comes your way is criticism that seems completely unfair. I thought, if you needed a list of my sins, I could have given them to you. That was clear, because I am not without fault. That I, I've experienced fair criticism, by the way, too, because there's a lot of criticism that has come that way that's this way that's fair. But Paul's experiencing this criticism. He loves the church, and we get to see his concern for the church. He gets to see his concern with these false apostles and deceitful workers who are discrediting. His ministry. And from his words here in chapter 10, I think we can deduce at least four ways that Paul is being discredited. Four ways that Paul, I think, was being discredited. I think what he was saying was what they were saying, these false teachers in Corinth, they were saying, This Saul of Tarsus, he is number one, weak. He's weak. He's number two, unspiritual. Number three, boastful. And number four, he oversteps his bounds. He's weak unspiritual, boastful, and he oversteps his bounds. And we get these, I think, from the text of 2 Corinthians 10. So in today's text, we find Paul not only defending himself against these accusations, but also showing us, as our sermon title indicates, showing us qualities of a faithful servant of Christ. So let's jump right into our sermon text this morning, our sermon outline this morning. The first quality of a faithful servant is, number one, meekness. Number one, meekness. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Paul writes, Now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness, these two words are closely related, meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask, that is, "I I urge you, I beg you, that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. You see, some in Corinth were undoubtedly accusing Paul of being weak because he was a gentle and humble person and then bold in his letters. We should certainly be able to understand this today. It's easy to be bold when writing something down. It's easy to be bold when sending a message on Facebook or in an email. But when speaking to someone face to face, it's a little more difficult to have that same kind of boldness. Even in preaching, it's difficult, it's easy to be bold from the pulpit, it's harder to be bold when sitting down across the table. Apparently, this is so common today, this idea of being bold in our writing that we have a slang term for it, it's apparently called e-courage, so I looked it up and the Urban Dictionary says, the Urban Dictionary, the source of all truth, says, it's the unexplainable effect that the internet has in increasing the amount of one's courage and gall. Right? When sitting behind a keyboard, you're suddenly brave. We've all probably been there. I know a friend of mine who says, I often type up emails, and then I just put them in my drafts folder, and I come back to them later, and I find that I often delete them. Right. So while there's no internet during Paul's day, this is precisely what some in Corinth were saying about Paul. They said, he may talk a big talk when he's writing a letter, but that's all. In verse 10, they say, his letters are mighty and strong, but his personal appearance is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. In other words, they're saying, he's all bark and no bite. And in fact, he'll he'll only bark from afar. But notice what Paul says. He says, I urge you, I beg you, that I need not show you my boldness, my confidence, my courage, when I come. That's why in verse 10 of chapter 13, he says, I'm writing these things while absent, So that when present, I need not use severity. Paul says, don't mistake my weakness and my gentleness. Which, by the way, are Christ-like qualities. Don't mistake those for weakness. Don't mistake my meekness and gentleness for weakness. The word meek refers to strength under control. So it's not strength that rules with an iron fist, but strength that seeks to be gentle. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus. The Jesus who said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But that's not weakness. Because this is the same Jesus who also we know has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. You know, I try to live this out in my preaching ministry. And I don't always do this well. But I do try to live this out. And I think it's appropriate to be bold here. And then to be meek when face to face, to be humble and gentle in the, counseling, in the counseling realm, in the personal realm. So I try to be bold here, presenting God's word. I stand as a representative for God in both places, but especially here as I present what God has said. And then as I seek to apply it, there's a level of patience that I want to bear with you, like Paul did with the Corinthians, where he said, I'm bearing with you. I just want you to grow in this. I don't want to have to be so bold. I want you to see this and live this on your own. This principle Paul addresses again and again in Galatians 6. He says, Brethren, if any one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's the Greek term meekness. Each one of you looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. And he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says, with gentleness, that's again meekness, correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, Paul was not weak, but he was meek. He had strength under control. He was humble. He was a servant who loved the people in Corinth and all of the church. So the first quality of a faithful servant is, number one, meekness. Number one, meekness. And at this rate, we ought to be done by... 2, 3 o'clock this afternoon. So the first quality of a faithful servant is, number one, meekness. The second quality of a faithful servant is, number two, maturity. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God." And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Paul is piling up military terms here. Notice them. He says, we wage war. We have weapons of warfare. They're powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing. That's a a high place, a place of protection against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive, and we're going to punish all disobedience. You see, Paul likens the Christian life to war. Why? Because there are no civilian Christians. You may think, you know, Jeff and Carlin, they've come here and they're going on the front line and they're going to serve in the Lord's army. You know what? Every one of us is called to wartime living. You may be a defeated soldier. You may not have your weapons of warfare up and ready. You may be constantly being defeated, but you're called to fight. You see, this is a war that we're in. It's not a war against flesh and blood, but a spiritual war whereby the devil would seek to destroy us. And we're called to live for God's glory. Not in our own strength, but by the power of God. And how does Paul wage war? He says, By destroying speculations, destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Speculations, knowledge, thoughts. It sounds like Paul is waging war primarily in the realm of the mind. This strategy, by the way, is divinely powerful, he says, for the destruction of fortresses. Much of the world and the church today associate spirituality with emotions. How many of you have heard someone say, well, you know, the service just didn't speak to me today? Or how many many of us have said that? And what this typically means is that we're expecting some sort of emotional experience and we don't get it. Whereas Paul, in Scripture as a whole, says that the battle really takes place in the mind. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. People say things like, you know, I don't like to read. Well, God revealed Himself to you in a book. The Christian life is not merely an intellectual pursuit. But there is the renewing of our mind that we need to do day by day by day. And you can do that at two years old. You can do that at five years old. You can do that at a hundred years old. You can do that if you have an IQ of... I don't even know what a good IQ is. If an IQ of 200 versus an IQ of 100... I have no idea if those numbers are even remotely accurate, right? It's not about being an intellectual, but it is about renewing your mind, thinking biblically. I've said again and again, and when we think about this idea of stimuli coming into our lives, these things coming into our lives, sometimes we want to we limit the stimuli, We watch TV at night and we see this TV commercial that's an inappropriate commercial and we think what we need to do is just turn off the TV. And while that's true, we do need to limit stimuli. Stimuli will always come into our lives. So what we need to do is we need to change our thoughts. That when that stimuli comes, we need to think biblically. The biblical thoughts produce biblical emotions. And biblical emotions produce biblical actions. And those actions produce more thoughts, more emotions, more actions. And that ultimately builds character that's what scripture teaches see that's the renewing of your mind so that when I get home from work and I've said this before when I get home from work and my wife says oh I was too busy watching some I don't know what I was watching TV and I didn't have time to make dinner I have a chance to think biblically which is well really she's made dinner for me every night for the past 17 years right so here's an opportunity for me to love her and serve her maybe I can make dinner Instead of thinking biblically, here's what I would think. I would think, really? Right? Like, I just worked all day. I slaved. I don't know what you've done all day. But you didn't make me dinner. right? That's not thinking biblically. When I don't think biblically, that produces an unbiblical emotion. The emotion is anger. When I think biblically, it produces the emotion of gratefulness and gratitude and service and love. So we need to think biblically. And don't hear me say, the maturity is necessarily believing all the right things, but it does include being renewed day by day in our minds. Ephesians 4, through 24 jot that down. Look at that passage. Again, same idea. Lay aside the old self and be renewed by the, in the spirit of your mind. See, when we lovingly deliver the truth, when we speak truth into other people's lives like Paul did and help them think biblically, we demolish Strongholds, and we do the same thing in our own lives. When we think biblically, we demolish strongholds. You want to fight against sin that's in your life—lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. You need to think biblically. So then, when that comes in, you say, I, "I, I don't want that. That's not good for me. I know I need to fight against that. That is evil, and that's only going to bring me one place." And when you think that way, it produces a different emotion. But when you think, oh, just once, it produces an emotion that drives toward more thoughts, more emotions, more actions, and ultimately that drives character. So the first two qualities of a faithful servant are meekness and maturity. Meekness, which is not, um, not weakness, but instead strength under control. And maturity, which is thinking biblically, being renewed by the, in, the, in our minds day by day. Let's consider now the third quality of a faithful servant. Third quality is number three, integrity. Look at verses 7-12 through 12 with me as we speed up. Verses 7-12. through 12, You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. But let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding." Paul here is responding to the accusation that he is boastful. He says, those who attack me and say his letters are mighty and strong, but his personal appearance is unimpressive, and his speech is is contemptible, he says, those people, they're attacking me in this way, and what they're saying is that I'm just boasting. Just as we saw earlier, they were saying, he talks a big talk, but that's all. So Paul says, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again, within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. He says, just as you are Christ, and you belong to Christ, so also do I. This isn't pride. This is Christ in me. God called me to this role and this position. For even if I boast, he says, somewhat further about our authority, which, by the way, the Lord gave me for building you up and not for destroying you, I'm not going to be put to shame. I could brag about this position. He says, why? Because the Lord gave it to me to build you up. I'm not bragging. He goes on to say, consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. We're not just comparing ourselves to others. Paul says, we're living out the calling we have received in Christ. I'm not just comparing myself to others in the church, I'm not just comparing myself to other teachers. Instead, I'm looking to see what, whom God has called me to be, and I'm living in light of that. I'm not comparing myself to others. I'm comparing myself to Jesus, and I'm comparing myself to the calling He has placed on my life. I am His, and He is mine. There's real danger when we start comparing ourselves to others. Real danger. It's very easy for us to think, you know, He's not much. He's a better teacher. It was interesting. Somebody had, was away for a, a week or so, and they said, uh, hey, is the sermon going to be uploaded? And I said, oh, it didn't record right. We messed up when we were recording it. And they said, oh, that's okay. I'll have to settle for John Piper. And I thought, yeah, settle for John Piper, right? And even in that moment, I began to compare myself to the ministry of another. And that's dangerous. I'm not John Piper, and John Piper's not Jason Pauley. Praise God for that one, right? We don't compare ourselves to others. Instead, we walk with integrity. We serve in the ministry capacity that God has called us to serve. We live out our calling. We don't don't compare ourselves to our standard, but instead to Christ's standard. So having seen the first three qualities that faithful servants have the qualities of meekness, maturity, and integrity, they live out their faith, They live out their calling, not just in word, but also in deed. Let's consider the fourth quality of a faithful servant. Number four, confidence. Verses 13 through 18, real quick. 13 through 18. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ not boasting beyond our measure, that is, and in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. The Greek word overextending ourselves. I need to slow down if I'm going to say this. The Greek word behind overextending ourselves is the word huperactonomene, which means encouraging an activity beyond beyond, uh, an implied limit. So it's this idea of, like you hyperextend your arm, right? It's this idea of going beyond what you should do. Going beyond what is supposed to happen. It's to overstep a limit. So Paul here is responding to the accusation that he oversteps his bounds. They're saying he oversteps his bounds as a teacher. He has no business being as bold as he is. You know, I've heard people say this and I've probably said it myself, right? Preacher, you've gone, you've gone beyond preaching into meddling, right? And we say that, but how many of us actually think that? It's very easy to think, okay, you've stepped a little too far into my life here. And I think that's what they're accusing Paul of. Paul, you overstep your bounds. You're You're... You're reaching too far into our lives. You think you have this place, this position of authority over us, Paul? You're just Paul. You're one man. And he says, don't forget, I came to you. Right? I'm the one who brought the gospel to you. And he doesn't say this in a prideful way. Like, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be saved. He's saying, I do have authority over you. I'm your spiritual father. I brought the gospel to you. Not only that, I want to see you grow. I want to see see my ministry enlarged in you so we can go even further. He says, I'm not reaching beyond my limits. I want to keep going. Let's go further and further and further. I want to reach deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. You see, Jesus is relentless. The things that you hide in your life, the things that are secret that nobody else knows, Jesus knows about and He wants those things. And I tell you what, He is relentless. Some days I wake up and I think, Lord, you want that part of my life too? And I say things like, sometimes I think this thing. I think, Lord, do you know how much I've given you? I mean, look at me, I'm giving up. And then I have to step back and go, whoa, I need to be careful here, right? To, for me to say, do you know how much I've given you? The Lord wants us entirely. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our every part of our lives. What is the goal of the Christian life? To honor Him, to bring Him glory in all things. Paul says, I'm not overstepping my bounds. So I'm not boasting beyond my measure. God's given me this ministry. He's given me the ministry to reach as far as you and to speak truth to you. I'm not boasting in other men's labors. I want to preach the gospel not only to you, but also to others I want to see the ministry grow and I want to see you become more and more of a faithful servant in Christ. You see, Paul was confident. So we talk about meekness, maturity, integrity. Meekness doesn't mean a lack of confidence. He was confident in Christ. He knew what his ministry was and he could be bold. And the only way I can be bold when I stand up here to preach is if I am sure that what I am preaching comes from God. God. Because if I'm bold in and of myself and and I say, you need to do this or you need to do that, there's no strength in that. My confidence comes in, in proclaiming what God proclaims in His Word. So Paul is responding to this accusation that he's overextending himself. And he says, I'm not overextending myself. I'm just confident. I'm confident in Christ and His ability to minister through me in spite of me. You know, every... Sunday morning, I get up early. This morning, I got up around quarter five, and I usually the first thing I pray is I say, Lord, I can't do this. This might be the last time I preach. I can't, I can't do this. Because I, I can't. I can't do this in my own strength, Lord. And I say, Lord, do this in and through me, not because of me, but in spite of me. And not for my glory, but for your glory. And not for my sake, but for the sake of the saints' harmony. And that is Paul's heart here. He says, do this, Lord. I'm confident that you will, because you promised you will. I'm not overextending myself. I'm not putting myself in a position of authority that God didn't give me. But I am confident in the position God has called me to. To help you grow. To build you up in the faith. So by way of review, paul they accused Paul. They accused him of being weak, unspiritual, boastful, and overstepping his bounds. And these accusations should not surprise us, because if we are faithful servants, the same will likely come to us. Was not Jesus accused of the same things? Think about it. Jesus was accused of weak. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't that what they said about Jesus? They said, if you are the son of God, you're so strong, take yourself down from that cross. Jesus was accused of being weak. Jesus was accused of being unspiritual. They said he eats and drinks with the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus was accused of being boastful. They accused him of blasphemy. They said, he claims to be God. Jesus was accused of overstepping his bounds. By what authority do you say and do these things there, Jesus of Nazareth? Yet we see in this text, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul gives us examples. He shows us qualities of a faithful servant that we would do well to imitate. Though we may be wrongly accused... We would, be, we would do well to not be weak, but to be meek. We would do well to be growing in maturity. Not unspiritual, but growing in spiritual maturity. We would do well to not be boastful, but walk in integrity. Not say one thing and do something else, but say and do the same thing. Proclaim God's Word and then live it out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And to be confident. Not overstep our bounds, but be confident in Christ and the ministry that he has given us. So here's the big question, the question you've all been waiting for. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this and then apply it? Well, we're all called to be servants. We're all called to be faithful servants. And our ministry may not be exactly like Paul's, but we are called to ministry nonetheless. And as servants, we're called to live these things out. We're called to be meek. So when we go out into the world, there's no room for arrogance. There's no no room for weakness either. Instead, we have strength, the strength of Christ, and we have it under control. We are gentle and humble. We imitate Christ in our interaction with other brothers and sisters and in our interaction with the world. We do not honor Christ if we say the right things and we do so in the wrong way. So if you are not meek, if you are not humble and gentle in your proclamation of the Gospel, then it is not Christ-honoring. You need to live in a way that imitates Jesus. We're called to be mature. We need to be growing in maturity, thinking biblically, continuing to push each other to know God's Word, to apply God's Word, to live in light of God's Word, both as individuals and as a church. We need to hold each other up to that standard. To hold each other accountable in that. We need to to walk with integrity. We need to not just say one thing here on Sunday morning and then do something else during the week. We need to live out our faith in very real ways. And we need to be confident. Confident in Christ. Claim the promise that Christ will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as I think about this church... I think we can talk about the 12 things we need to do this year to grow the Ministry of Harmony Bible Church or how we need to have VBS or we need to have trunk or treat or we need to whatever have a car wash. That stuff doesn't that stuff's good. But unless we're walking and serving with meekness, maturity, integrity and confidence, those things don't matter. We need to get this down first. We need to be faithful servants of Jesus. And then the what we do almost doesn't matter. Yes, we need to use wisdom. We need to get this down, folks. I'm going to spend less time talking about how we need to do the work of the ministry and more time, how, more time talking about how we need to be growing in our personal lives and living out Christ-like ministry. And God will be glorified. God will be honored as we do that, both as individuals and as a church body. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. God, I thank you for your grace. God, I just pray and ask that you'd be with us. God, that you'd help us to be faithful servants. God, I pray that we would recognize the reality of our calling. Every one of us has been called to serve you. And God, I pray that we would serve you in a way that is honoring, in a way that points others to the truth of the gospel and to your Son, Jesus, God, that we would be bold. God, that You would give us the ability to be meek, to be mature, to walk with integrity, to walk in confidence. And God, as we do those things, that we would not shrink back. That we would be like Paul who did not shrink back from the truth of the Gospel, from the truth of holding the church accountable to the, to the Word of God, to Your Word. God, I pray and ask that You would do those things in us and through us. And God, that You would use us mightily Not because of us, but in spite of us. And not for our glory, but for yours. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.